the Colonel John Summerfield. Okay, if you uh, remain standing the rest of the evening, I'd be honored to uh, have a seat, please. Uh, nobody ever fell for that one. <laughs> That, um, that size of uh, Israel compared to the United States, that little blue dot there in the middle, some of you might have think half of Lake Michigan slid down into Wichita, Kansas or something. But um, to give you an idea, um, Israel itself is uh, today about 8,000 uh, square miles. At home where I live in our, in our county and the adjoining county, both of them put together is the size of Israel. And when I tell people that locally, they go, get out of here. It can't be that small. We know the county. Well, it is. They say, but it's in the paper all the time. There's all that stuff about it. Well, it's because God has some special plans for it. In Indiana, I figured it out today. I don't know what all that blinking's about. But, and shaking and everything else. <laughs> You can get a little over about four and a half Israels inside the state of Indiana. So, um, uh, just to, <laughs> isn't that nervous? <laughs> That's Israel out there at the um, eastern end of the Mediterranean, that uh, red spot there. And uh, to the north is Turkey. I'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in a moment. But Turkey used to be very close to Israel. It was the only major Islamic country that had good relationships with Israel. They did billions of dollars worth of trade. They did military uh, exercises together, all that sort of stuff. And about three years ago, Turkey really started to break it off. And, and in a minute, I'll tell you why they did that. Egypt's been a different story. It's another country we'll talk about in a minute. But it's been uh, up and down and over and back. And at the moment... They are pretty much aligned with Israel, but uh, that's all. That's kind of momentarily. Iran, as you know, is out working on uh, developing a nuclear weapon, and uh, the first place they want to use it on, test it on, is Israel. And uh, I can tell you, though, from um, Scripture, it's not going to happen. So, don't waste uh, much worrying about it. Just thank God that He's got an iron dome over this country that He's very concerned about. Saudi Arabia continues to do what Saudi Arabia has always done, and that's pay everybody to do the dirty work and to stay out of their business, uh, including uh, much of the terrorists around the world. But this is a very unusual time. We find that Saudi Arabia is aligned with Israel because they're scared to death of Iran. And um, even publicly, they're starting to say some things. It used to always be death to Israel well, right now they're saying, Israel, please take care of the problem in Iran, as, as a few other um, uh, countries are doing. Syria is a total disaster area. Hundreds of thousands, I doubt that we'll ever know the number, uh, have been killed there in the fighting in the last few years. And this is where ISIS has uh, really developed out of. Iraq is, a, I hate to say it, but Iraq is very much like what we did in Vietnam and what we're doing right now in Afghanistan. Uh, when we get tired of something, we don't stay, and uh, we declare victory, and we go home knowing we haven't finished the job. 
And certainly the way we got out of there now has uh, spawned the great difficulty that's going on there. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible disaster area after all of the blood and treasure that we have spent there. Uh, we attempted to walk away with it without any repercussions, and the world is seeing the repercussions at the moment. Jordan is uh, immediately to the east of Israel, and um, King Abdullah was here uh, about a month ago. He was uh, begging for arms, and the uh, White House said, well, we'll give you some sea rations and Band-Aids if you want them. We were of no help. He is one of the few uh, kingdoms in the Middle East that is still on the throne after the start of the Arab Spring about uh, three years ago. And, um, it's, but it's a very shaky throne. But he is, um, he's taking the lead um, in the fight against uh, ISIS. That's King Abdullah. Um, Lebanon to the north, in fact, it doesn't exist as a nation. That's a, that's a joke. Beirut is... Um, well, anyway, it's, it's on the map because we decided it has to be on the map, but it's been taken over mostly by Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization, and um, it's, it's, it's not a country by any standards. That little red country, Israel, is the most disputed strip of real estate on planet Earth. And the reason is it's the only piece of real estate on planet Earth that God calls my land. Eight times in scripture he refers to Israel as my land. It's his. And he's got plans for it. And that's why the world is so against it. Um, uh, and, and that's the cause. Look, there's a clash of civilizations that are going on right now in the Middle East. And for the most part, uh, we've been so uh, fat, dumb, and happy in this country and so blessed by God that we don't pay much attention to it. I mean, we're more concerned about Hillary's emails than we are about the, the great things that are going, great movements that are going on in the world. Most of them are bad, but we ought to be on top of it, especially as Christians, especially as Americans. We, we kind of need to know what's going on in order to make some sense of it, to talk to your neighbor over the back fence and, and give them some hope and give them some direction. I'm going to show you several empires now that have all ruled that area of the world. And one thing you find out in the Middle East, when you're talking with real Middle Easterners, you've got to watch out and understand what century their mind is in. Because we don't understand this as Americans. As Americans, we're at the top of our game. This is the pinnacle. We, were, we grew up in a country that was leading the world in all sorts of things. And so we're very much in the now. Other nations at one time used to be on top. And that's where their mind is. Back when Greece ruled the world. Back when Rome ruled the world. You talk to people over there and you really get out in the Middle East. you you got to really watch it. They're talking about the 12th century. But you think they're talking about yesterday. And... They have, these empires that I'm talking about right now all have pretensions of again leading the world and being on top. And one is the Ottoman Empire. Now the Ottoman Empire ruled all of that area and it ruled Israel for 400 years from 1517 till 1917. 
They ruled it all. As a matter of fact, they just about destroyed it all. But they were in charge. That was the Ottoman Empire. And that little guy down there in the corner, that's the last sultan. And the sultan was also the caliph. You're hearing a lot about the caliphate. He was, in in the Ottoman Empire, he was also the head of Islam. And uh, 1922, that was the end of him. He was really, by 1917, he was gone. And he's replaced by an incredible guy named Mustafa Kemal, and he, and he changed his name to Ataturk. And he was uh, uh, a great uh, fighter. And in World War I, he led the remnants of the Turkish Empire, and they defeated the British at Gallipoli and all this kind of stuff. And when the war was over, everybody got out their carving knives, and they sliced up the Ottoman Empire, and all that was left on the table was a turkey. And that's why Ataturk <laughs> changed his name to the father of the Turks. And in this modern country of Turkey is due to him. And he said, the reason we've become so backward and everything's fallen apart is we've been looking to the east. We've been looking to the Arab world. And you may see the pictures of these guys wearing these fezes. You know, I mean, if you're in, uh, uh, what is that, um, Shriners? You know, a lot of them, uh, they wear the fezes and stuff. Well, in the, during the Ottoman Empire, everybody wore that fez. You were part of the Ottoman Empire. He says, get rid of the fezes. You know, out with the fezes. And ladies, out with the veils and get rid of that stuff that you're wearing. We got to look toward the West. We got to look toward Europe because we've become decadent. And he changed the alphabet. He changed everything over the years. And, and the movement was that Turkey would become part of Europe and not part of the East. Ataturk changed all of that. And Ataturk had the army as um, a safety valve, as insurance. And over the years in, the, in Turkey, whenever the fundamentalists, the Islamists, would get back into power and start becoming too conservative, the army would rise up, throw them out, and after two years or so, they'd hold other elections, and they'd get back to being what Ataturk wanted. But about 10 years ago, this guy came into power with his party. His name is Erdogan, and he's been the prime minister. Recently, he made, him, he made himself the president, okay, president for life. Now, he had, first thing he did was he purged the army. He got rid of all the army officers that were going to be a challenge to him if he tries to move it uh, in a religious direction. And he got rid of them. The army's been neutered in many ways. They can't do what they used to do. And he has significantly moved Turkey much farther toward the east, toward Islam. He really has pretensions of being the head of Islam in that whole area. And if you kind of understand that, you'll understand the reasons why we're having trouble with Turkey. But it's really why they cut off relations, um, at least at that governmental level, with Israel. So the Ottoman Empire is trying to get back. And re- Now, the Arab, they're not Arabs. You've got to understand that. They're Turks. And the Arabs hate them. Because for 400 years, they lorded it over the Arabs. And so there's no love lost there between them ethnically. 
There's another empire out there. It's not usually called that, but you can call it the Arab League. And there's 22 countries that identify themselves as Islamic Arab countries. And they refuse to recognize one country that calls itself the Jewish state. They will absolutely not recognize Israel as a Jewish state. And yet 22 of them say, we are Arabic Islamic countries. 360 million people in there. It was Suleiman the Magnificent. And all of those Arabs, everybody wants to be like Suleiman the Magnificent. They want to be the leader of all the Arabs. The, the one guy that almost pulled it off, his name was Abdul Nasser. Some of you may remember Nasser. He was an army officer, and he threw out King Farouk, and he took over, and he really turned um, toward the Russians for support. Uh, this was during the Eisenhower days. And um, Nasser died of a heart attack, and he was uh, succeeded by Anwar Sadat. And Sadat showed, in my opinion, a great deal of bravery and courage when he went to Israel after having lost a couple of wars to Israel, he went there to make peace. And throughout the Arab world, he was vilified. But we, in, you know, in, the, in the Western world, we thought he was great stuff. And in fact, he was great stuff. That was a very brave thing for him to do. But the Muslim Brotherhood murdered him. And um, some of you may remember that. During a parade, they jumped off and they ran up and they just gunned him down and everybody else. But Mubarak, who was his vice president, was sitting right next to him in uniform and everything, and he wasn't hit. Then Mubarak came into office, and for 40 years he ruled. Now, the unusual thing was, during those 40 years, aside from Israel, Egypt was the linchpin to the Middle East. Mubarak was very pro-American. We gave a lot of aid. We gave the same amount of aid to Egypt that we gave to Israel every year. That was the linchpin. And um, quite honestly, Obama pulled the rug out from under him. And um, it, was, it was taken over eventually in an election, but it was a very phony election, by uh, Mohammed Morsi, who was the head of, became the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. And immediately he was turning Egypt over from what was close to, a, not a real democracy, but anyway, they were friendly to us. And during those 40 years, they never attacked Israel. They didn't even threaten Israel. And once Egypt was out of the picture, the other Arab countries had nothing to do with it. So you got to think if during those 40 years of Mubarak's reign, in a, in a backhanded way, he was a blessing to Israel. He was a blessing to Abraham's descendants. And when we pulled the rug out from under him, um, the, the Muslim Brotherhood came in, and I mean almost overnight they were changing everything, and the army rose up under the president now. His name is, I hate his name, you know, it's Sissy. And I don't think he's a sissy at all. <laughs> he's a very courageous man. And when the army overthrew the Muslim Brotherhood, put Morsi in jail and all the rest of this stuff, our administration said, oh, that's bad. A military coup, we can't recognize them. And even though he now is cleaning out the Muslim Brotherhood, who is a direct enemy of the United States and a direct enemy of Israel, um, 
anyway, they kind of drove him uh, up to see Putin. And because Putin's always going to jump in there, that's Russia, to, to, to back him, it's kind of in limbo right now. I mean, anybody with a brain ought to see this is the guy we ought to support. Yeah. Because he is, and right now, he's defending Israel, and he's the guy that could be very supportive of the United States, but we seem to turn those guys over. Now, the other empire that used to rule all that area and has pretensions of coming back is the Russian Empire, and that's uh, Peter the something or other madman. And in 1917, Lenin came in there and started, turned the Russian Empire into communist uh, empire, and he was succeeded by Joseph Stalin, and um, this is the new Joseph Stalin, Putin. Uh, Putin is ruler for life or until somehow they get rid of him, but he is touching the nerves of a big segment of Russia that likes being back and likes pushing into the Ukraine and push, 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 and I think what we're seeing is a setting of the stage of what eventually is going to turn into these nations coming against Israel. But I've read the story. They are going to be sorry they did that. They are, they are going to be wiped out. And um, anyway, I, that's the next thing on the schedule, at least as far as we know. That's not the Battle of Armageddon, but that's the next one that's, that's rolling down the road. And Putin's pushing his way uh, in there, and he'll probably be part of it. The last empire that used to rule all of that was the Persian Empire. And you may have heard of the Persian Empire. But in 1935, the Persian Empire changed its name. Why 1935? What was going on in Europe? Hitler came into power in 1933. By 1935, Hitler was telling all this stuff about the Aryan nation and how the pure German is an Aryan and all Aryan, 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 all that sort of stuff. And the rulers of Persia, who had that name for 3,000 years, said, we're changing our name to Iran. It means the land of the Aryans. They were very much in accord with everything Hitler was saying about how the Jews are are ruining our bloodline and the Jews this and the Jews that and all that stuff. It shouldn't surprise anybody that all the stuff coming out of Iran today is exactly the same uh, as Hitler was promoting in the 30s. Look, it's all satanic. Satan was involved in, in Nazism and the killing of the Jews. These guys are the same thing. The Persian Empire ruled all of that. Remember now, the Persians are not Arabs, and they're not Turks. And they were over the Arabs and the Turks, and they hate them. So you've got an ethnic divide there, but they are, they do share one thing, they're all Muslim. And you can go Shiites and Sunnis and all that sort of stuff, and they're fighting each other. But I'll guarantee you, it's like it's said in the Middle East, it's my brother and I, me against my brother. And then it's my brother and I against our cousins. And it's my brother and I and our cousins against all the foreigners. And so that stuff can be put away overnight um, because of that whole satanic realm that goes on. This was, um, I don't know, Cyrus the Great. That was Ahmadinejad. I, I hoped when Ahmadinejad first came into power, he wouldn't last long because I couldn't say his name. But now that I got it down, now he's out of power. It doesn't matter. <laughs> He went around the world 
with setting out the tentacles of what Iran has. And I won't show you all that tonight. But they're not just a threat in the Middle East. They are in Central America. They are in South America. They have connections all over the world, uh, much bigger than most people recognize. This is Ali Khamenei. He is now the Ayatollah. His name is almost the same as the first Ayatollah, Khomeini, who I'll talk about in a minute. And this is the new president. His name is Rouhani. And he took over Ahmadinejad's place. Ahmadinejad's an ugly, snarly little guy. And now they got a nice, smiley guy in there, like he's a wonderful guy. He is not. He is a vicious person. He was the minister of defense in the 80s when Saddam and uh, when Iran and Iraq were fighting each other. He was the first minister of defense. They sent nearly, we don't know the exact number, nearly 100,000 children wearing plastic keys around their neck to go in and clear the minefields, to march through there. The plastic keys were that when they got blown up and they'd show up in heaven, there were 72 virgins waiting for them. This is the guy who sent them out there. They blew them to pieces to clear the minefields because they didn't have um, the uh, stuff to do it with. This is not a nice man. And just because he smiles and can charm John Kerry, he shouldn't fool anybody. Only militant Islam, in my opinion, can really unite all of these empires. And that's why you're hearing about the caliphate and you're hearing about all that stuff. And it doesn't matter whether it's ISIS or whether it's Iran or whether it's the Muslim Brotherhood. Their goal is all the same. The idea is all of them want to be the head of it. Okay. But it doesn't make any difference. It is demonic and it's devilish at its heart. And that's something that can hardly be said even on Fox News. But it's true. And, and we need to understand it in that light. This is not just some political systems that um, don't like each other or anything else like that. This is serious business. And certainly in, at least in my opinion and in my study, there's never been a time when kingdoms in that area of the world have fallen so quickly and so fast as when this Arab Spring started. And yet in all of it, in the midst of all that turmoil, Israel is not only totally at peace, it is prospering beyond anything that's ever been seen. And I've been going there for over 40 years, and it is incredible. God is blessing that little piece of property. People say, oh, isn't it dangerous? No, it's not dangerous. Jerusalem is an amazing place. You'll see... 80-year-old couples at 2 in the morning walking hand-in-hand hand up and down the streets in Jerusalem. So how can that be? They don't do that in Lafayette. Well, I don't know whether they do or not, but honestly, it is so safe. God has this protective cover over that country. This is, uh, let's talk how we, how we got to that place. Let me start doing some striptease here <laughs> part of my act I don't know I guess I went backwards okay <laughs> thank you 1977 Jimmy Carter was president and when Jimmy Carter came in he said it's um, human rights 
Oh, I'm human rights. I'm going to change the world in human rights. Our linchpin in the Middle East at that time was not Egypt, because Nasser was in power there. Our linchpin was Iran. We had relationships with the with Iran that went back into the ninth, part of the later 1930s. I have pictures of the Shah of Iran uh, with every president, starting with FDR and going all the way up uh, through Truman and and um, Kennedy and and finally with Jimmy Carter. And this is a famous picture of Jimmy Carter glaring at the Shah of Iran making this friendly toast. And I read his mind. And he said, he has no idea what I'm going to do to him. And he says, to Iran, an island of stability. Thank you, President Carter. I, I remember this so well because I remember reading these things coming out of an uh, unnamed source at the White House the Shah is bad, the Shah has secret police, all this stuff undermining him, and finally the rug was pulled. And um, this was the Shah of Iran. Remember, Iran at that time was a friend not only to the United States, but a friend to Israel. Israel got all of their oil from Iran. That's almost unbelievable today when you think about it. The Shah of Iran was a blessing to Israel. The Shah of Iran was a blessing to us. Sure, you can find warts on any leader uh, in the world. And you can say, oh, yeah, he was a dictator and stuff. He wasn't exactly. But nevertheless, we found things that we didn't like about him. So we got rid of him. And what did we get? The Ayatollah Khomeini came in in 1979. The world has never been the same since. It was an unbelievable change that was brought about by stupid policies. This is what he said in 1979 and he never varied from it and he meant it and we didn't believe it. He said in order to achieve the victory of Islam in the world. Oh wait a minute that must be a mistake because we it's just a it's a religion of peace. What do you mean victory? Is this some sort of a game? In order to achieve the victory of Islam in the world we need to provoke repeated crises and restore value to the idea of death and martyrdom. 1983, when this truck pulled in to the Beirut airport on October the 23rd and blew up and killed 241 Marines and Navy personnel, at first, in the investigation of it, because the Marine that was on the gate, oh, I don't want to go into all the, all the problems of how that came about. It was with such stupidity. But that Marine said, you know, when that guy drove past me, he was smiling. And we thought, wow. Because we heard the same thing back in April when a truck pulled up in front of our embassy in Beirut and blew itself up. And we said, you know what? They're using retarded people, and they're driving up, and they don't know what they're doing. And somebody across the street has a garage door opener, and they're blowing it up. And that poor driver doesn't know. We did not believe that people would literally kill themselves to kill others. Today, we understand that totally. We didn't 
in those days. We went a long time trying to figure out, well, you know, pretty soon they're going to run out of retarded people, so we don't have to worry about it. And this was the first time we even heard the word Hezbollah. This is where they started. By the way, Hezbollah, whenever I get a chance to be interviewed and I mention Hezbollah, I always say, it's not the party of God because Hezbollah, when it's translated, it says party of God. I said, listen to it. It says party of Allah, Hezbollah. And then, you know, people go, oh, you didn't have to say that. Yes, I did. Because the true God and Allah are not the same. And most of the world is confused on that. Oh, they're all worshiping the same God. That's a lie from hell. So (coughs) he said we need to provoke repeated crises and we need to restore value to the idea of death and martyrdom. And he did restore value to it. Today, martyrs will videotape themselves before they go out and do it. And then he said this, if Iran has to vanish, that's not important. What the heck does that mean? He said, if Iran is wiped out, who cares? He spent his entire miserable life trying to take over Iran. He hated the Shah with everything he could. And when he finally took it over, as any leader we would imagine would want to do things for his people, he said, look, if we got to all blow them up, that's not important. We didn't understand that at all. But now when you read their beliefs, you see they are ready to promote a a worldwide conflagration because then they believe the 12th Iman is going to climb out of the well and he's going to come back, kind of a messianic fervor, and that'll bring their Messiah back. We didn't get that. We didn't understand it. (coughs) He said if Iran has to vanish, that's not important. The important thing is to engulf the world in crises. And that is exactly what Iran has been doing. That's exactly what Hezbollah has been doing. Hamas, ISIS, you name it. You don't have to learn about all these terrorist organizations. Just know they're all about the same thing, and that is to destroy Israel, to destroy the West, and to say God's word doesn't mean anything because you can't, you know, you can't go by those promises. It is anti-godly. This is what Khomeini said. We must all rise, destroy Israel, and replace it with the heroic Palestinian nation. He doesn't give two hoots about the Palestinians. As a matter of fact, if they could lob a nuclear weapon on top of Israel right now and kill all those Palestinians there, it wouldn't bother him one bit. Most of the Arabs hate the Palestinians to start with, and I'll guarantee you the Iranians do. But we don't get that. And our talking heads on television, the pundits, always say, oh, if the Palestinians only had a home, everybody in the world would suddenly be playing frisbees for peace and jumping rope, and all of these 35 wars around the world would stop immediately. It's all because those dirty Jews won't give the Palestinians a tiny little country. That's the biggest lie ever. Ayatollah Khamenei. 
Iran's stated aim is to destroy the global order, to annihilate Israel and the United States, and usher in a Shiite messianic era in which Iran will rule the world in the name of Islam. <coughs> he is the supreme leader. I don't care who John Kerry is negotiating with now. They can't make a decision unless the supreme leader tells them to. And he always tells them, just buy more time till we can get the nuclear weapon. This fraud that is going on called peace negotiations is a tragic fraud. And, uh, and it, you know, 47 GOP um, uh, senators sent a letter to the Islamic leaders, you know, just the other day, and how, the uproar that's going, how dare they? You know, and, and Kerry today said, if we make a deal, if Obama makes a deal, nobody can change it. And Congress is saying, wait a minute, this has to be approved by the Senate. Oh, no, John Kerry said, absolutely not. I've been 36 years in the Senate, and I'm as stupid as when I went in there. <laughs> Ah, no, I, there's no use wasting energy on John Kerry. When I was at Auschwitz, I saw this sign. It says, the one who does not remember history is bound to live through it again, George Santa Anna. It's, it's been plagiarized and changed uh, hundreds of times, but it's this. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And it's why we need to know some of the history of what's gone on before. Past is prologue. We, we have to learn those kind of things. God's word in, um, in Hosea says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of Google. My grandson, I thought he was a genius. You know, no matter what I'd ask him, he'd go, Well, yeah, and he'd give me the answer. It's all Google anything in the world. You know, he's a pretty smart kid, but uh, had me fooled for a while. I can see he can text without looking at the letters. I can't even text when I hit him. <laughs> God said, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of knowledge. We have never had so much knowledge available to us in the history of the world that's tap of your finger, you've got 25,000 bits of wisdom that's there. It's a lack of knowledge of God's Word. That's why people are destroyed. And that's why the, this nation is in danger of being destroyed. When, when I was a kid, <laughs> don't you hate to hear that from some old guy? When I was a kid, I hate to hear, hear myself say it. But you know what? People, biblical language was not foreign to the average kid, even if he didn't belong to a church or something. And I remember not too long ago in a, in a high school, I was saying to some kid, now you've got to have the patience of Job. What's a Job? I mean, in our language today, most of that biblical talk is gone. That was, that was just a part of what this country was, was made up of. It's gone today. It's not part of that. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge of God's Word. Let's go back. Not too long. Let's go back to 1938. This is when the Prime Minister of England uh, came back from having dealt with Hitler 
and he held up this piece of paper. He's known as, he's, the only thing he's known for is appeasing. It's like feeding the alligator. You just keep feeding it everything you can, hoping that eventually when he gets around to eating you, you'll be the last thing. And this appeasement, and this is what he said when he came back with this piece of worthless paper that Hitler had signed. <clears throat> he said, my good friends, this is the second time that has come back from... Um, from Germany to Downing Street, peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now I recommend you go home and sleep quietly in your beds. You know how long they had to sleep quietly in their beds? One year. World War II started, and it was based on giving in to Hitler. It's this sort of horrible appeasement. There was some guy who was out of power, screaming bloody murder for years. You can't trust Hitler. His name was Winston Churchill. He was not in power. Oh, Churchill, he's just a nutcase, right wing. Don't listen to him, all the rest of that stuff. When the war started, the first guy they called back was Churchill. But up until then, this was what the mindset of Britain and everything else was, even though Hitler was arming. What are we doing today? Same thing. Okay? Iran is arming. I say, in my opinion, it's only God's working that it's taken them 20-plus years to come up with a nuclear weapon. What takes them so long? We had one in 1945. The Pakistanis, it's no secret. You can look it up and you can Google it to build one. Everything they try to do, and they still haven't come up with it. God is preventing them from doing it. But no thanks to us here recently. This was, um, now, this is, the, this is the same kind of thing that's going on today. You've got John Kerry meeting with Rouhani. Rouhani now is the sweetheart because he knows how to smile and laugh. He's laughing. I know why he's laughing. 30 September 1938, I believe it's peace in our time. I bring back this cheap piece of paper which bought nothing but time for the enemy. John Kerry doesn't even have a piece of paper yet. He's got an empty hand. But it's the same thing. I didn't mean to make this a John Kerry show. I want to. Iran now, look, it's not just nuclear weapons. They've already taken over the capitals of four different countries. They've taken over, frankly, the capital of Baghdad. They moved over a million people into Iraq uh, about three weeks ago with no visas or anything else, came in for a holiday. Nobody knows how many have gone home. But the fighting against ISIS right now are. Iranian soldiers now lining up with Iraqi soldiers and they cut us out of it. We're supposed to be over there training them. We didn't even know what they were about to pull off. They cut America totally out of it. They've already taken over Baghdad. They've taken over Damascus, Beirut, and Sana'a down in Yemen. Most people don't know about it, but the Houthis, the Hutus, who, never mind whoever they are, <laughs> They are backed totally by Iran. These are all Iran's armies out there, only under a different name. They have not been sitting back since 1979. They've been working their way in. And in fact, they are the major backer of Assad in Syria, 
who's destroying his own country. It's Iran that keeps him alive and going. Now they're moving toward Oman. They took over Yemen. They will move toward Oman. And once they do that, they'll control the Gulf. And uh, daily, 20% of the world's oil goes through the Gulf. And they can control it very quickly. And they're moving on uh, Jordan. So at a time when many hope that Iran will join the community of nations, Iran is busily gobbling up the nations. Um, this, this deal, this is what Netanyahu said the other uh, week ago in uh, Washington, D.C. And he said this, this deal that's being made won't change Iran for the better. It'll only change the Middle East for the worse. A deal that's supposed to prevent nuclear proliferation would instead spark a nuclear arms race in the most dangerous part of the planet. If they get a nuclear weapon, and they, they already have the missiles to deliver it, and if they become a nuclear nation, immediately Pakistan already is a nuclear nation. Saudi Arabia has been over there this week attempting to buy nuclear weapons from um, Pakistan. Egypt also has already started a program in case Iran gets the nuclear weapon. At first we said they're not going to get it. Now we're saying, well, we'll slow them down. It'll be 10 years before they can get it. That's trusting them not to cheat. That's idiotic. Spiritual laws can't be seen but a study of history shows over and over again that spiritual laws are just as real and reliable as physical laws, and we ignore them at our peril. Anybody that's ever, you know, stuck a fork in an electrical outlet, <laughs> whack. <clears throat> I mean, we know that, right? Even if you haven't been hit by it, you kind of believe it. But you can't see uh, electricity until you can see the results of it. Spiritual laws are just absolutely the same. And when God says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge, and because you have rejected knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, God says, I'm rejecting you. Whew, that's hard stuff. Oh, is he mean? He's not mean. He's warning us over and over again. I believe that Netanyahu coming to the country was a clarion warning to our nation because nations are judged on how they treat Israel, the state, and how they treat the Jewish people. That brings judgment on a country. It brings blessing on a country, but it also brings judgment. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you. God's saying that to Abraham, but you can follow it out. That covenant was passed on to Isaac, to Jacob, and then to all of your descendants forever. That is an everlasting covenant. It's as much in place today as it was 3,500 years ago when God set it in motion. That's a spiritual law. He can set it in motion. You want to get blessed in your life? Find a Jew and bless them. It works. Find a Jew and curse them. Find out how electricity works when you stick a fork in there. Don't do it. Don't mess with spiritual laws. Get in tune with it. This is an unconditional promise to all mankind. It doesn't matter. If Ahmadinejad tonight decides he's going to be a blessing to Israel, God's hands are tied. God's going to have to bless him. 
Because if He blesses them, it's unconditional. It has nothing to do with whether you're a Christian or, or a Buddhist or whatever you are. If you get in line with this spiritual law that God will bless those who bless Abraham's descendants. And Abraham's descendants are the Jews today. It works for an individual. It works for a church. It works for a family. It works for a community. I can tell you stories about each one of those categories, how it has worked. I won't take the time to do it. And it works for a nation. And my study of history has been looking at empires and nations over the years, reading about them. When they blessed the Jews, they prospered. And as they inevitably did when they turned on the Jews and drove them out or killed them, some, it was the end of them as any kind of a world power forever and ever. Whew, don't mess. <laughs> How God judges nations. In Joel 3, 1 and 2 it says... In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I am absolutely convinced we are living in those days. God is restoring the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem like it never has been done since the time of Solomon. Everything they touch is prospering. <clears throat> when the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt, the first thing they did was they cut off the oil that, e that Israel was buying from Egypt. They cut those lines and they kept blowing them up. What happened? Israel found the two largest natural gas fields in the world offshore. They believe there's oil under it. And in four years, they are bringing it into production. It's already coming into Israel. We can't even get the paperwork to fill out in four years to, to drill a new oil field. And Israel's already doing it, and there's so much there that Israel can be a supplier to Europe within a year if they want to. Who's the supplier to Europe now? Russia. Guess what? That got Russia's attention. Okay? Anyway, um, that's another whole story. You've got to go to Israel and see that. i I got to call in right now to a friend of mine who's over there in the oil business. And I, I'm taking a group over there next week, and I want to take them up and show them the drilling that's going on. Um, because I, I love Jewish humor, you know, and it's, there's something, I, I used to hear this all the time from, it's kind of a little Jewish joke, and they'd say it in Israel all the time. they go, oh, Moses, that's Shlemiel. Moses, when he came, brought us out of Egypt, if he'd taken a right instead of a left, we would have had the oil and the Arabs would have had the sand. <laughs> And the, and the idea was, we don't have any natural resources. That, no, that joke is no good anymore. Israel now has natural gas and oil, anything beyond what anyone imagined five years ago. Well, when did it show up? When they needed it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is, it's got at work in that country. You've got you to gotta go there and see it and experience some of it. It is... It's exciting. By what standards are nations judged? Nations have been, they are, and they will be judged by how they treat Israel and the Jewish people. Joel 3, I just said it in those days, and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, God says, I'm going to gather all nations. This is the judgment on nations. And I don't believe it's just a future thing. I believe this has been intact now for thousands of years. When they turn against the Jews, they are judged. I'm going to bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the Valley of Judgment. And I enter into judgment against them 
on one thing. This is what nations are judged on by God. He said, concerning my inheritance, and in case you guys miss it, he then said, my people Israel. He calls them his inheritance. And if you've ever seen families when the, when the old man dies or something and he leaves a will, and then the fights begin, you know, all the kids are at each other's throat and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it happens. Don't mess with God's inheritance. Look what people do with inheritances. I'll enter into judgment against them, meaning all nations concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they, here's the two things that nations can do which will get God's feathers ruffled. He said, for they scattered my people among the nations. Not only we know from history who drove them out of the land of Israel. We also know the other side of the coin is who kept them from coming back when they tried to come back. The last one to do it was some place called Great Britain. In the 30s, when the Jews were trying to get out of Europe, Great Britain said, no, no, that's Palestine. You can't come back. There's no room for you. Great Britain is no longer great. Great Britain does nothing today except maybe put on big weddings or, or something or have royal babies. They are no longer a world power. They were, Great Britain was, this is for you guys in school, this will be on the test. Great Britain was the largest empire in the history of the world. By 1917, there's, there's never been an empire as big as Great Britain. It said that the sun never sat on the British Empire. It was true. All around the world, they had, today, pssst, the air went out of that balloon right after they started dividing the country and scattering the people. And, um, and that was the end of them. The second thing God judges nations on are dividing my land. Don't divide my land. God is not greedy. He made it all, and he said, all I want is this little area here. And what do we say? you got to give the West Bank away. you got to give this away. you got telling Israel, that tiny little country, that they've got to do it. And that has been our mantra now for years. you got to give the Palestinians a country. That means take a third of the country away and give it to a people who, in fact, are not a people, but another story. I only want you to look at two things here. 1939, according to this one, there were 16 million Jews in the world. Some people think there were 18 million Jews in 1939. <clears throat> By 1945, there were 11 million, maybe less. Six million, a third of all the Jews in the world in eight years were wiped out in the Holocaust, killed. Never to have children again or anything else like that. Overnight, a third of the Jews disappeared. Look at 2014, last year. There's only 13 million, almost 14 million Jews in the world. They're not even back to the numbers that they had in 1938. They really are a remnant of what's there. This is the population of the Jews in the world. First line is Israel. In Israel, for the first time, there's over 6 million Jews in Israel. It's 42, it's almost 43% of all the Jews in the world are now in Israel. 40, the, another 40%, almost 6 million, are in the United States. 
and scattered around the world is another million Jews to make up the 13 million. So the bulk of the Jews are in Israel and the United States. You know why the United States has been so blessed all these years? Because we have been a refuge for the Jews. We have been a vineyard for the Jews. We have, yes, there's been anti-Semitism and stuff like that. But we have not killed them. We have not driven them out. We have not done those kind of things. And God has blessed this nation beyond any other nation in the world. And we have to keep it that way. We are on a slippery slope right now. This whole thing about Netanyahu and our administration and all the rest of that kind of stuff does not bring a blessing on our nation. I'm concerned about our nation. I, I mean, I'm concerned about Israel, but I know what it says in the back of the book. They're going to be all right. But I want this country to be blessed by God for as long as it can be for my children, for my grandchildren, for my great-grandchildren. And that's a concern all of us ought to have. And we're losing it because of a lack of knowledge of God's Word. When you look at those kind of numbers and you see the United States still has almost half the Jews in the world within our country, we better not ever throw them under the bus, as has happened with every other empire. They've thrown them out, they've killed them, they've taken all their money, they've done all that kind of stuff, and those nations have been judged. This is what you saw in 1945. These are survivors at Dachau, the concentration camp. I'll tell you something about these guys. They are living skeletons there. They don't want to go to sleep because they're afraid they'll dream. Because they saw their children, their wives raped. They saw their children and everything go up in smoke in the furnaces. They don't know why they're alive. Their question was, why am I alive? I don't want to be alive. There were a lot of suicides of these survivors because they couldn't take it when it was over, they'd, what they'd seen and what they'd lived through. Some of them have lived through seven or eight years of constant terror that they could be killed on the whim by a guard just because they looked at them wrong, that sort of stuff. These guys are sitting there, and it says this in Ezekiel. It says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is what the world saw in 1945. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. These are children's survivors in Auschwitz. These were ones that were taken by Dr. Mengele. He loved getting twins and doing horrible things to the twins, all these kind of experiments. He asked me in Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. The horrible things that were done to these children, I, I wouldn't even begin to describe it to you. <clears throat> This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and they stood up on their feet a vast army. Today the Israeli army is one of the best in the world. And these guys right there, these are the grandsons of those survivors in Dachau. Out of those dead bones came this vast army for the first time in well over 2,500 years. Israel is able to defend itself. It is not under the heel of the Romans or, or of anyone else. 
God says, oh, my people, I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then, 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 then you will know my people. You will know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I've had people say, well, this isn't really the fulfillment of those prophecies because you know those Jews come back. They're not believers. They're not believing. They're not following God's word. God says over and over, then, then, then you will know. He is working that way. There is a change going on. This is Jerusalem Day from a few years ago. All the schools come in, and these kids wrap themselves in the flag. It's not something they do. They love that flag. They love that nation. And I love this picture of them. I just want to squeeze the cheeks of some of those girls because these are the granddaughters of those survivors of those kids that Mengele did stuff to. This is a miracle that there is such a vibrant nation like that. And uh, praise God he's doing it. Alexander Haig said this some years ago because there's all sorts of um, criticism of the United States supporting, um, supporting Israel. He said, look, Israel is the largest American aircraft carrier in the world that can't be sunk. And it doesn't carry even one American soldier, and it's located in a critical region for America, for America's national security. And then he talked about how many billions of dollars it would take to continue to have aircraft carriers out there. He said, Israel's doing the job for us. They are a national asset. And the, the investment in Israel is a good investment for the United States. I really believe this, though. You know, I believe in tithing. And as I look back in the money that we have given to Israel, I believe it's a tithe. And we don't even know what we're, that we're doing it. But God blesses us for tithing like that. We've got shared common values. I'm running out of time. This is what Netanyahu said a couple of years ago. And usually when politicians speak, it's a bunch of hot air. This is, the, this is one of the best things I've ever heard from a politician. He said, what's the root of the conflict? The simple truth is the root of the conflict was and remains the refusal to recognize the right of the Jewish people. They won't say it's a Jewish state. In Bible talk, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Netanyahu continued, he said, the right of the Jewish people to a state of their own in their historic homeland, the promised land. That's how we understood it. He said, what's it all about? That God has a chosen people and he's got a promised land and he's bringing them together. For a politician to say that is, <laughs> is fantastic. The Bible commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. It's the only com it's one of the few commands in there where it says to pray for something and we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you do, God says prosperity is connected with that because your heart will change. You'll be a lover of Israel. You'll be a lover of God's people and God blesses you for that. You're going to prosper if you do it. Ignore it. Forget about that kind of prosperity. We're to be watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. On your walls, Jerusalem, I've appointed watchmen all day and all night. They'll never shut up. 
and, he, and they're going to keep you awake all night. Well, God's up all night anyway. And it says, you who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Will Rogers says, never miss a good chance to shut up. And I ought to shut up right now. <laughs> but I'm not quite done. Silence is, would you like to finish that phrase for me? Silence is golden. golden. Ooh, good. All right, you, what's that, family feud? All right, you, you want some, silence is, give me another one. Never mind. Next to God, no, that's cleanliness. Okay. Silence is, it's a blessing sometimes, isn't it? But here's what I want to say about silence. Silence is consent. And I learned this, I learned this in Vietnam. When I was on the net, when I was on the radio, and I was listening to operations that were going on, if I heard something that was said that was wrong, that was immoral, that was, well, we ought to just kill this guy, something like that stuff, if I didn't say anything, I consented to it. My silence consented to it. We as Christians have been silent too long. And by that, the world has taken that for our consent. We've got to learn to speak up. I, I won't tell you some of these stories, but I did. Now, I will tell you a story. No, I don't have time. I've got to make one up. Okay, let's see. When, when I, oh, no, some other time. Okay, but silence is consent in most things. If we have the opportunity to speak up, especially about something that's spiritual, we've got to speak up. We can't be consent. My mother used to say this to me, Johnny, don't talk about religion or politics. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, it's all I talk about. <laughs> but that was her, you know, oh, that'll ruffle people's feathers. Too bad. Those are most important things. And, and there's, the pulpit has been silenced. Where else are you going to hear the moral things that affect us all the time. The issues that come up that people vote and and yet um, in, in many churches, well I can't touch anything political. It'll upset Aunt Minnie somewhere and all that stuff. There was a pastor who survived World War II. His name was Niemöller and he said this famous thing. He survived the war. He came to the United States and he spoke to pastors over and over again until his death in the 50s. He said, First they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out. I wasn't a socialist, meaning a communist. They came for them. He was a World War I hero, and, um, but they took the socialists away. Then during, this is during Hitler's time. He says, then they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out. I was a trade unionist. He went in to be a pastor after World War I. He was a theologian during the 20s. Then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out. I was a Lutheran minister. I wasn't a Jew. After all, they're taking the Jews away. He was a pastor in Berlin from 1931 to 37 in one of the most influential Lutheran churches there. And he says, then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me. From 1937 to 1945, Hitler had him imprisoned. And he survived. Somehow Hitler forgot about it. He, he hung Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he never got around to hanging him. But he didn't come here saying how brave I was. He said how, what a coward I was. 
why I didn't speak out. And he was telling pastors, you've got to speak out on these kind of issues. That famous picture of those survivors, the little head way in the back is Elie Wiesel. And Elie Wiesel today is probably the most famous Jew in the world, Pulitzer Prize winning author and all the rest of that. And I got to go through this very quickly. Um, Wiesel said, I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. When he was taken prisoner by the Nazis, along with his dad and mom, all the neighbors stood out there and he said they were silent. That hurt more than anything as we were being led. We had lived in this community in Romania all of our lives. And when we were taken away, not a peep came out of our neighbors. He said, silence only encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. We must always take sides, take sides on these issues, know about them. You can figure out what the godly side is. It doesn't take uh, rocket scientists to figure out where we ought to be standing. We must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, he said, silence in the face of evil is, is, is evil itself. Come on back, Dietrich. It's evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless if we are silent when we can make a difference. Look, we live in the greatest country in the world with a freedom of speech and the freedom to speak out. And there's a lot of people who would like to silence you, but you must stand up and speak. Otherwise, you just fall into that. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Look, I didn't really come here to sell T-shirts. This T-shirt, though, in many ways has changed my life. When I first started wearing this, it says pro-Israel. I never had such a people would just come up to me and go, yeah, right on. And they'd come up, yeah, we love Israel. They're saying things, and at first I didn't realize why they were saying it. I didn't know they were reacting. I've never had a shirt do that. And anyway, you'll be amazed. And I'll tell you who it's a real blessing to is Jews. Jews see that, and they can't help themselves but come over and say, why are you doing that? Say, and I've got great answers. Well, God wants me to bless the Jews. Really? Why is that? Those kind of things. It, it really has been fantastic. And so I had a bunch of these printed. It pays my gas money. It pay, pays me to get around. But I'll tell you what. You get some of these. You start wearing them. It, it changes your life. You will have people just... I've never... And I've, I go everywhere wearing these kind of things. I've never had anybody say... Anything negative. Now, I haven't been to Berkeley wearing it, but okay. But I'll tell you what, you, you can witness all the time and you never have to say a word. This is one way. I mean, we say our life should be a witness and all that sort of stuff. Most time they can't tell us from Joe Blow walking down the street. You wear something like this. I always wear an Israeli and an American flag or an Israeli and a Texas flag pin. I mean, I can't get on a plane with somebody going, hey, I like that. Well, what they're saying is, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when spiritual principles are at stake, silence is not golden. It's yellow. 
we have to be ready and primed to speak up for what's right and what's honest. I have this picture. This is one of Norman Rockwell. He made four pictures during World War II, and this one has to do with freedom of speech, and this is this guy standing up in the town meeting in New England. And uh, I love this. My kids brought, bought me a picture because I was always talking about it. And at dinner table, I hang it. It's right over uh, where my wife sits. See, I can look up and I know I can speak up. And <laughs> so on that blackboard, it says silence is consent. And it's just, why should we speak up? Proverbs 24 says, if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he, meaning God, who weighs the heart, perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? And, and this is the kind of stuff my daughter lived in Germany for 12 years, and I'd speak to, through her to all the old Germans I could get and say, what was it like during, his, during Hitler's time? And stuff? oh, we didn't know, we didn't know. It's a lie. They knew. They knew exactly. But, you know, I wasn't going to disabuse them of, their, of that. But God says, if you say we knew nothing about this, he weighs the heart and he knows it. You and I know a lot about God's word and about standing up for Israel. That's the one thing that's going to continue to bless this nation. Isaiah says, for Zion's sake, I will not uh, keep silence. Stand up, speak up, pray up, and never shut up. Praise God. Thank you. I'm done. God bless you. Blessed by being able to hear this, this time to stand up, speak up.